Thanks for joining us today. We're delighted that you have chosen to worship with Sunnybrook Christian Church. If you're new, uh, maybe you found us online. We want to welcome you to our worship service today. Maybe you're a longtime member of the Sunnybrook family, and we want to extend a warm welcome to you. Remember that we do have in-person services available whenever you're ready. Uh, We're offering three at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.10. But in the meantime, we've come together now to worship. So I hope that you'll pause, take time to engage your heart and your mind as we lift up praise through our song, the hearing of the word, the teaching of the word, and then as we join together in communion and response with our corporate prayer. We hope that your time is meaningful for you today as we learn together and grow closer to the almighty God as we continue through our series of the Psalms. Worship well, and we hope to see you soon.
Good morning, Sunnybrook. Uh, today our text is going to be found in Psalm chapter 78. Um, let me begin with a, a story from a time when our boys were young. Uh, we had always encouraged our kids to make sure that they're inviting their friends to church. I don't know if you do the same, uh, but it's uh, one of those things that a good Christian parent should do. And so our boys had uh, some friends that lived in the neighborhood, and they would invite them regularly to church and um, could just get a, get a sense that uh, these other children didn't really have an interest in coming um, or their parents wouldn't let them come. And so I had an opportunity to speak to this well-meaning mother uh, of these young men in our neighborhood. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know, I, I hear, I very much appreciate the offer, um, but we really want our boys to not be influenced um, by others when they make these great decisions about um, whether there's a God or whether there's not a God, we, we really want to kind of let them come to this decision on their own. And we're really careful, maybe even leery, of undue influences. I appreciated her honesty. And I have reflected long and hard um, about that, that, that mindset or that mentality that we should let children or we should let others or we should let other people, even around the world, come to their own conclusion. Uh, that is not the way the Bible looks at things. But instead, the Bible uh, comes to us as God's revelation to us, knowing that we needed to know the truth about God, that left to ourselves, we will not discover the truth. We will not naturally obey God and honor him. We will not um, understand who we are or where we came from unless God reveals that to us. And that's kind of what Psalm 78 is. Psalm 78, um, and you can do the math and get that it's close, but Psalm 78 in the Hebrew Scriptures, particularly in the, in the, in the Psalms, the way that they organize it, even within its subsection, Psalm 78 stands as kind of the center of the book of Psalms. It, it, it holds Israel together by reminding them of God's truth, of God's activity in the world, the wonders that God performed over Egypt. And, and yet it also describes their faithlessness, God's faithfulness and their failure to be faithful to the covenant. There is a very famous statement. I'm sure that you've heard it, and especially with recent events, a lot of questions about how to deal with a country that has a complicated history at best. Um, I, I believe every people group in the world has much of their nation's history or their people group's history um, that is, uh, that is uh, shameful, that brings about kind of a, a deep sense of regret and guilt. And then there are other aspects that every nation probably can be rather proud of. And every nation has to spend its time reflecting back on its own history, being honest with its sins. And, and this is what Psalm 78 did. So this, this famous statement that you may have heard is credited to a gentleman by the name of George Santiana. And he says this, I'm sure you've heard it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And um, I've heard that said many, many, many times. And, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy learning about history. So that I could learn not just about events and things, but so that I might become more informed about mistakes that have people, made, people have made in the past 
so that I and those around me might not make them. There is a wisdom in looking back at history and realizing what can we learn from them so we don't have to go through the difficulty of learning it for ourselves, especially our mistakes and failures. And so the Bible teaches this very foundational truth that every generation needs to hear for themselves the story of God. And that is why when the nation of Israel is called up out of Egypt, and it's really kind of the first time that we see in the Bible um, the Israelites being a nation in the book of Genesis. It's just Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons. It's just a rather smallish family, large for our uh, tastes and, uh, and size, but, but for them it was just a small group of nomadic peoples. But when we turn the page from Genesis 50 to Exodus chapter 1, we see that they are many And God calls this people up out of Egypt through many wonders. That's what Psalm 78 is going to to underline and to remind Israel of. But when they are getting ready to go into the land, we see Moses yet reminding the people that they have a responsibility to help this new generation to remember the good activities of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, looking at verses 1 through 3, this is what Moses says. This command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of his statutes and commands that I am giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses is saying, God has commanded me to teach you this new generation so that you would teach your sons and your grandsons what it actually means to fear the Lord. And this is who God is. And this is our relationship with God. And, and that's what good parents do. That's what good neighbors do. That's what good friends do. That's what good followers of Yahweh God or Jesus Christ, his only son, that is what we do is we care enough for those around us that we don't um, let them have to figure out life for themselves, but we help them know what God has revealed about himself and, and about us. And so when you turn the page from Deuteronomy to the book of Joshua, now that they're entering the land, we see a similar phrase continuing. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, Joshua is saying to the people as they're getting ready to enter the land, above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. Be strong and courageous is not about a battlefield. The strong and courageous is about being remaining devoted and dedicated to the word of God in teaching it, not just to ourselves so that we might have it, but passing it on to the next generation. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything. Notice the word carefully has now appeared twice. Carefully observe everything written in it. 
for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. And so as we get ready to hit Psalm 78, what we're actually going to see in this psalm are these two truths working side by side. And and they work side by side throughout all of history. Psalm 78, although it is looking at one sliver of time in God's activity with the Israelites, I think we could go back or forward in the Bible and we could see this repeated theme happening over and over and over again. These two things working side by side. And the first one is this. That every generation has failed to follow God faithfully. What happened in the garden happened to Abraham and his descendants. It happened while they were in Egypt and it happened on their way to the promised land. It then happened again when they were in the promised land. It, It happened so much that God removed them from that land and sent them into exile into another land. And it happened there. And then after God restored them, it happened again. And then God sent his son to redeem this complete mess. And you and I, if we're really honest, we can recognize in our own lives a consistent pattern of our failure to acknowledge who God is and to trust him fully, even though we know in our minds of the wonders that he has performed. Every generation has failed to follow God faithfully. And yet, alongside of that, and this is what gives us such great hope this morning, that God has demonstrated himself faithful to every generation. Every generation has not been faithful to God, and yet God is faithful to every generation. I I usually don't do this, um, and I don't have a lot of quotes that I think people are going to say after me. I'll never have my my name in Wikipedia um, with with even a short blurb. I won't, unless you do one, Steve, I guess. You might, you might, Steve might want to do that for me because he likes me so much, better than I deserve. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a quote or kind of make a quote. Um, I appreciate what George Santiana wants to teach, but the more that I read Scripture, I'll tell you that it's not just those who cannot remember the past who are condemned to repeat it. I, I would argue that even those who remember history are condemned to repeat it. That, that knowing history in and of itself isn't the key. It's, it's, it's not the solution. This is why you and I are here this morning to worship God. We are here to gather around the table to remember what God has done. Not just so that we could learn history, so that we could somehow correct those things and not make those mistakes. I, I believe that the human dilemma, the human problem, individually, um, societally, <laughs> is not based upon information. We don't need a history lesson, although we will have one this morning, but the history lesson, interestingly enough, isn't about information as much as it is pointing us in the direction of of God. We don't need a history lesson. We really need God himself. And that's why this morning, and you might have picked up on this, we have not yet read our text. Because I really want our text, it's, it's, it's rather lengthy, but I really felt the more that I studied it, the more that I looked at it, I, I didn't know how to cut it up. I, I didn't know how to divide it up into very neat chunks for a message. In, in the end, it just kept calling out to me that this whole chapter is in fact the point. It is in fact the message. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is to gather around kind of like the children of Israel would 
um, in front of a loving father or a loving mother that had devoted themselves to teach their children, you know, we really get this strong idea um, of, of, of parents teaching their children, not from cultural trends or societal uh, standards or expectations, but we are a church, we call it orange, believing that the family is the best place for discipleship to happen, that moms and dads have been placed by God in a very special and particular point in a child's development and life so that they might teach them primarily not how to hit a ball or how to, how to, how to dance or how to read or how to add, but how to recognize the truth of God and to respond faithfully to him with all that your child is. The greatest thing that you can do for your child, and I'm excited about a young lady that's going to give her life to Christ this weekend, because her parents loved her so much that they taught her about God, that they brought her to a community that cared for her and taught her about God. And on Sunday, she's giving her life to him. And so this is what we're going to see this morning as we look at Psalm 78. Again, I want you to, to think through this. There are going to be those times in which God is going to be talked about and um, the faithfulness of God is going to be described. And, and then there are going to be other times where the faithlessness of Israel, the faithlessness of humanity is going to be described. And it is this back and forth, this ebb and flow of humanity's failure and God's relentless pursuit and love for his covenant people. And I hope that this reading of the text will bring you encouragement and strength, not because I'm giving you new information that is going to finally give you what you need to never make a mistake again, but no, you would recognize that in the midst of your failure, the great covenant God of the universe still loves and cares for you and will not let you go. Psalm 78, a masculine of Asaph. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works that he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would be not like our ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, and they refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works that he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The waters stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day 
and with a fiery light through the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed. But can he also provide bread to furnish meat for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard and became furious. And then fire broke out against Jacob and anger flared against Israel because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. He rained meat upon them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the sea. He made them fall in the camp. All around the tents, the people ate and were completely satisfied, for he gave them what they craved. Before they had turned from what they had craved, while their food was still in their mouths, God's anger flared up against them, and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's fit young men. Despite all of this, they kept sinning. And they did not believe his wondrous works. So he made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster, when he killed some of them. The rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouths, They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere towards him. And they were unfaithful to his covenant. And yet, he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day that he redeemed them from the foe when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood and they could not drink from the streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which fed on them, and frogs, which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore fig trees with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, calamity, a band of deadly messengers. He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He struck down all the firstborns in Egypt. The first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely and they were not afraid. 
but the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy territory, to the mountain his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned, against the, or turned away like their ancestors. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh the tent where he resided among mankind. He gave up his strength to captivity, his splendor to the hand of the foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his heritage. Fire consumed his chosen young men and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword and the widows could not lament. The Lord awoke as if from sleep like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he has established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens brought him up from tending ewes to be a shepherd over his people Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God that you and I this morning can learn from others' mistakes. You know, one of the things that I actually believe that I might be able to do is somehow lead my children every step of the way, and when appropriate and timely, I would share with them the mistakes that I made, the mistakes that their mom made, the mistakes that my friends have made, the mistakes that I know, because I know history, the mistakes that others have made so that somehow my boys would not make the same mistakes. <laughs> and yet, for some reason, and, and, and we know this, there is something broken in all of us my boys had to learn firsthand their mistakes. They, they had to learn firsthand about their own failures and their own brokenness. They had to experience for themselves that as I continued to talk about how good God was and trustworthy God was and here is his word and here is how it describes a, a better way of living, a better way of understanding who we are, a better way to love our neighbors, a better way to just be human. And each of my children, just like their parents, decided, no, my way is the best way. But one of the things that the more that I read Psalm 78, and it's just that ebb and flow, God was good and performed wonders and delivered his people. But yeah, I've lived too much of my life in that, but I chose something else over him. I chose instead of trusting for God's provision, I chose to covet my neighbors and all that they have. Instead of trusting that God will take care of me and protect me, I chose fear. Instead of believing somehow that I would be able to find everything that I need in God, 
I, I chose another path. That this isn't just Israel's story. This is my story. This is our story. And, and yet this incredible book here is really not a book about our failure. I mean, it'll be honest about it, but it really is about God's plans and purposes. And did you notice how Psalm 78 ended? It described this, um, he did not choose Joseph, and then it mentions Ephraim twice in that text. It mentions Ephraim, which would represent the tribes of the north. God did not choose Joseph. Jacob may have chose Joseph over his brothers, but God chose Judah, and he chose David. And this is kind of reminiscent. What you and I now know is that God had a plan that was greater than um, the people Israel. God had a plan that was greater than their forefather Abraham, that God made a promise to Abraham that he would make him into a great nation so that he might bless all nations. God is very aware of humanity's failure and rebellion and lack of ability to be faithful to him, even when they know what is right, even when they know the truth about him. I'm sure that you've heard almost everything described in Psalm 78, and yet you still wrestle with trusting him, don't you? You still wrestle with with wanting more than what God has provided for you, don't you? Yeah, we do. And, And this is why what Psalm 78 where it ends, the rest of the Bible picks up and continues that God promised through his servant David that he would have someone who would stand on the throne. And you and I, from where we stand in history, know that that is a description of Jesus Christ. Psalm 78, the writer of it, not knowing exactly what God is doing, is talking about God's providential selection of the tribe of Judah among all the tribes and King David among all those from the tribe of Judah And then he, God's faithfulness, not Israel's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to David, to Abraham, that God would in one day put a king on the throne. And we know him, and he is Jesus. And and he comes to us, and I guess that's why we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus comes, he he speaks much like his father, reminding us of God's wonders and God's works, of God's faithfulness, of God's holiness, of God's expectation for us. But more than that, his patience when we never meet his expectations. And so Jesus gives us this command, a very similar command that we need to hear. What I, what I love about Psalm 78 is Um, It it, it points us in the right direction for us to constantly be dealing with God's faithfulness amidst our brokenness. But then Jesus goes on and he he gives his commandments um, or his his instructions and his his, his teachings to his followers so that they would continue what, what, what Moses started or what Joshua was a part of. That as we tell the truth of God, the truth of God's story and our brokenness, we, we literally love people. We love people by telling them the truth about God's faithfulness and their faithlessness, about God's forgiveness and their rebellion. And that's why Jesus, when he gathered the 12 before he left, it says in Matthew chapter 28, he came near to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse, what does it say in there in verse 20? Teaching them to observe or to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, and remember, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Jesus believes 
and we should listen to him, Jesus believes that the best way to honor God and to love God is to know the truth about God. Um, make disciples, make followers of Jesus of all the nations. This is God's promise to Abram, that I will call you out, I will make you into a people. Through that people, one will come, and he will redeem all of humanity. And you and I stand at a point in history where we know not just the truth of God's kindness to us and his forgiveness to us, but the incredible privilege that you and I have to share this good news with others, teaching them, to obey everything that Jesus has taught. Moms and dads, that's what it means to be a parent, to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple of Jesus who was also a parent. Doesn't allow, don't, you don't just allow your children to try to figure out life on their own. You, you don't just let them kind of stumble through and, and maybe they'll figure it out. You don't just bring them into a church and drop them off. But instead, you are actively engaged with their spiritual formation. You are constantly looking at them and loving them and reminding them carefully to know the truth about God, to know the truth about their own failure, and then to help them to find peace through Jesus Christ, God's only Son. That's what it means to be a parent. What it means to be a good brother and sister in Christ is for you and I to love one another in such a way that it, the, the teaching might not look always like a classroom. It, it, it might, looks like for most, of, for most of my life, it literally just looks like me living alongside others, having honest conversations about the struggles that we have and the goodness of God. And I have spent too much time trying to offer people um, ideas or instructions that are more quotes from George Santayana than actually quotes from Jesus Christ himself. I've got lots of ideas that kind of run through my head, and I'll be honest, I am beginning to grow deeper and deeper in my appreciation for how this book gives us a level of instruction that far surpasses everything else. I know you might think, wow, you're learning this now. I'm learning at a deeper level just how true God's word actually is, not just to be known but to be fully embraced with all that I am. It's, it's not just about knowing who built an ark, but it's going back and looking at God's miraculous, powerful, providential, um, per, his own prerogative to judge the world and to, to look at that story and then to realize that my life looks a lot like the, the situation there and remember the same God that told Noah to, the same God that called Moses to, the same God that enabled David to, is the God that I serve today, the God that we serve today. That fundamentally shapes and changes everything else. That's why the Apostle Paul, speaking to a Corinthian church, which is probably mostly Gentile, says this in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, and anyway, I'm going to stop there. And then he goes on and he talks about Israel's failure. He's, he's talking to a Gentile church and he is referring to our ancestors. Paul recognizes that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been grafted in. This is Romans chapters 9 through 11. We have been grafted in. There is something that we can learn from them. He continues on in verse 6. Now these things took place, all that happened to Israel, as examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. 
Jump down to verse 11. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except that what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you will be able to bear it. <laughs> See, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is Paul's lesson to the Corinthian church about Israel's lessons to all of us. And he's saying, I get it. And I get that you're going to fail. And I get that you're going to, mis- to, to make mistakes. Again, we see in the book of 1 Corinthians two truths working side by side throughout history. Every generation has failed to follow God faithfully. And yet, God has demonstrated himself faithful to every generation. We desire deeply to teach the truth about God. We, we desire, not, not just with the words of our mouths, but with the actions of our lives, that we are models and examples to our children and in our community what it looks like to be a follower of God. I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, focusing on uh, Matthew chapter 28 in my years of ministry. That God, through Jesus Christ, told us. What does it say again? Let's look at it one more time. Jesus came and said to them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore, right? And, and really, it's a, it's a part. As we're going, it says, make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. I do that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. I love to do that. To observe everything that I have commanded you. I have spent not enough time on the close of this section. And remember this. Like Sunnybrook, remember this. In light of our lesson from Psalm 78, this constant reminder of our brokenness and God's faithfulness. Jesus, at this departure, when he is going to ascend up into heaven and lead the disciples with the mission of the church to go and to baptize and to teach and to make disciples, but he ends with this, and remember this. I am with you always to the ends of the age. That is our joy this morning. And looking back and seeing that to other individuals and to other communities of faith, all the way back to the very, very beginning, God is good and patient and persistent and relentless in his love for his own, and we are his own. And so this morning, may we take hope and encouragement. May we remember and trust the words of God. May we, may we learn to devote ourselves to him. And then in our failures, may we remember to turn to him and to experience the kindness and the goodness of God that he has demonstrated throughout history. I pray that this text and that this lesson is an encouragement and a strength to you so that you would turn from your own way of looking at the world and rely more on him. So Psalm 78 points to one. It describes God choosing the tribe of Judah and David. We mentioned this in the sermon. Uh, This is what God was ultimately doing in the world. Um, God's looking over our sin has nothing to do with him saying it's not a big deal but with him saying, I am a bigger deal. I, I, can, 
I can deal with this by sending my son who will die in your place for your sins. That is the, the greatest picture of our brokenness, of our rebellion, and of our sinfulness, and God's grace and God's mercy. At the cross, our brokenness finds God's goodness. And that is why you and I do this on a regular basis, to be reminded, I need God. And God has provided himself as the solution. This morning, you really don't need a history lesson as much as you need Jesus. And so we remember what he has done for us by taking his, this, this bread, which represents his body, and eating. And taking this cup, which represents his body, and we drink. Pray with me. God, we thank you for Jesus and for who he is and for how he solves everything in us. And I know right now there are some that are having a hard time believing that. I pray, God, that as they continue to trust in you, that you would demonstrate yourself faithful and true. And that this time together around your table, around what Jesus Christ accomplished, that it would strengthen your church. We ask this in the name of our Savior and Redeemer. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us this morning. I hope our time together singing and praising God was an encouragement and a blessing to you. Although let us always remember um, that as, as much as God in his kindness allows us to experience a joy when we sing praise to him, it really is for him. And so I pray this morning that as we gathered as a church in our homes, um, wherever you might be watching this, um, that God was honored and glorified by your devotion and dedication uh, and praise of him. I uh, want to continue to remind you about the incredible opportunity that we have to give, that it is not a burden for us to remember uh, God's kingdom and God's purposes here in Stillwater and around the world. Um, and so uh, there's going to be a number on the bottom of the screen that you can text and give to. 
um, or you can continue to drop off your check to the church. I know a number of you are doing that. Um, and uh, on behalf of uh, the ministry that's happening here uh, from the church and for our ministry partners around the world, um, we thank God for his faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to his mission. Um, now let us close with a time of corporate prayer in light of Psalm 78. Um, I would like for us to focus our attention on a prayer that reminds us of what we just learned today, um, that God is good and that we are broken and everything is going to be okay because God is good even though we are broken. And so let's pray together. God, we can obey you with our actions, but that does not satisfy you. You want our hearts, and so we confess desires within us that resist you. Replace our restless hearts with ones that love you and want to obey you. We worry because we forget your word. We hide and hold on to our sin because we forget your mercy. We covet because we forget your provision, and we sin because we forget your holiness. We fear because we forget your faithfulness. But you always remember us. Therefore, God, help us to always remember you. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.